You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good evening, Village Church, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, friends and family and loved ones. Um, Thank you so much, Pastor Ryan, for the introduction. I am Sophia Case. I'm proud mom to 14-year-old Getty Case, who you've seen behind the kit uh, during many worship services. I'm also a permanent resident of pew number three. So shout out to all my left-siders. But most importantly, I have the blessed opportunity to stand before you today in an act of worship and as witness to the power of Christ to transform a life. During tonight's message, we're gonna journey together through seven letters sent to seven churches. So seven letters that I pray you will see as seven doors that we are being called to open. But ultimately, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, I pray that we will arrive to the understanding that there is one specific door before us the most important kind, a door that is a passageway. To help prepare our hearts to take this journey through the seven churches of Asia Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theodera, Sardis, Philadelphia, and finally, Laodicea, we need to address the question of what do these seven churches and the seven letters have to say to our church now? the wider body of believers that make up the Church of Christ in this day and age, and what do these seven letters at the start of Revelation given to the Apostle John via an angel of the resurrected Lord on high have to say to you, to me, to those that do not yet know Christ that we pray for, and to the beating yet often broken heart of our world? To answer this, I want to turn to Matthew Henry, a 17th century pastor and prolific commentator on scriptures. So let's take a look at what Matthew Henry had to say about how we are to view the messages of Christ as it pertains to a church. What is said to one church concerns all churches in every place and age. But tonight, with all deference to my brother in Christ, Mr. Henry, I'd like to augment this quote just slightly. So what is said to one church is said to one heart. What concerns all churches concerns all hearts in every place and age. So now, yes, we are going to travel through seven letters written to seven churches, but first, Let's make a quick pit stop at a Southern California secular sanctuary of meat and cheese, in and out. Uh, But we're going to make this pit stop by violating the laws of time and space, because I'm going to invite you to in and out with me five years ago. So pull up a red stool, get your animal fries, and come join nine-year-old Getty and his mom who, after a life of staunch atheism and with a heart and spirit broken by darkness and regret and a lot of pain, found herself eating cheeseburgers with her son one Sunday. So it's 2018, and only a few weeks earlier, I had set foot in Village Church with my son in tow, 
the only spiritual home I have ever known and where Christ first entered my heart. As you all know, In-N-Out has a ministry delivered via very tasty meat and cheese, but also hidden under the edge of their cups and on the corner of their burger wrappers and beneath the fry boat are Bible verses. As we're eating, Getty picks up the crumpled wrapping of his burger and says, look, mom, Bible numbers. What do they mean? I looked to see what he was pointing at, and they're in red letters. Revelation 3.20. After having only spent a few weeks in the pews here and having never read or studied the Bible nor attended church, I had no answer for my son except let's look it up. Searching up the verse, I read it aloud to him. It is our key verse for today, and I'm proposing our one passageway. Listen. I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Mom, who is knocking? I had to admit my total ignorance, a very difficult thing to do for a talkative Sicilian and academic, but I said to him, I don't know any more about the Bible than you do, pumpkin but I think it's Jesus. He furrowed his brow and took a bite. Well, how long has he been knocking? My guess, my son, is probably since we took our very first breath. And then my son asked one of the most important questions of my life, and one we'll attempt to somewhat unravel today as we travel through Asia Minor and the seven churches. Mom, if he's been knocking since you were born, how come you didn't hear him and open the door? So let's take a moment and look at a painting depicting this verse. So here's Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the good shepherd with his staff, the king of all kings, knocking. What strikes me about this painting and every artistic representation of this verse, this verse spanning hundreds of years is the unique detail of there is no doorknob. There's no handle on the outside, no means for Jesus to open the door. The one that possesses the power to restore sight, resurrect the dead, the one that sits at the right hand of the Almighty has no means of opening this door. He can only knock. So what does this mean? It means the handle, the mechanism to this door, the vehicle for Jesus' ability to enter and eat with us and us with him, that handle is on our side of the door. Now, if you want to ask something about doors, you all know we should go to Dave Bethany, call up Mike Custer, or have a talk with my general contractor, Dad. So preparing for this message, I called to ask him, Dad, when you hear the word door, what do you think of? Well, we have our standard entrance and exit doors, doors that separate the inside from the outside, but then there are interior doors, and those are doors of passageway. Doors of passageway inevitably lead to other doors. To visualize this kind of door, let's look at this image showing a single door flooded with light, and I think we'll get to the light part, opening onto a passageway of other doors. 
So let's pause in our In-N-Out booth and take a look at what we have on the table. We have a savior knocking on the door he cannot open. We have a slowly defrosting atheist eating a burger with her son in 2018, trying to answer a very difficult question. We have a door of passageway that leads onto other doors. We have seven letters to seven churches. But even though the table's packed high and we got empty fry boats and we got greasy napkins, I need to put one more thing on the table. A soundtrack. Let's put a soundtrack, a rhythm, and a pattern. So it's true that I could not hear that knock for 42 years. I was on my side of the door, like the grouchy barista refusing to share the door code and keeping the door firmly shut. But Jesus was knocking, and his knock had a rhythm and a pattern. A pattern that began the day I took my first breath, the day you took your first breath, a rhythm and pattern that began the day each of the seven churches was founded, the day our church was founded, a pattern that repeats in all seven letters. So let's look at the rhythm and the pattern of the knock of the king. I know. Jesus is going to begin each letter to the seven churches by stating he knows. He knows their victories, our victories, just as the Father knows the numbers of hairs on our head. But he also knows their and our current battles, wounds, shame, mistakes, our obstacles, and those that are to come. Jesus declares his omnipotence and all-encompassing power, his complete knowing of us from the bright light-filled side of our moon to the dark side of our moon. I know you were waiting for a Pink Floyd reference. (laughs) And everything that we have hidden behind the interior doors in the passageway. The pattern in each letter continues with, listen. Jesus cries out in holy command to each church to listen to him. Hear him calling out to you to let him inside every one of those interior doors enshrouded in shadow. Each letter will then instruct us to conquer. Whatever it is each church has hiding in the dark chambers behind those doors, the king is calling them, us, you, into battle to conquer it. Finally, each letter ends with an I will. An I will statement, which is an assurance, a holy promise he intends to keep because Revelation 1 reminds us that we are to be priests serving his kingdom of now and the kingdom to come, he states, I will give you victory. So let's review the rhythm and the pattern of the knock. I know, listen, conquer, I will. So if you're interested and you'd like to grab one of the Bibles in front of you, you know, teachers love to see people with books. So (laughs) if you'd like to follow along, as we journey from Ephesus to Laodicea and finally arrive at the door of Holy Passageway, we're starting in Revelation chapter 2, and it's page 995. So as we move from church to church, letter to letter, we can trace the rhythm and pattern of the knock and hopefully arrive at the answer to my son's question, but also why every non-believer that you're praying for can't hear the knock why a church will fail to prosper 
and how you and me, who have opened that first big door to declare, to declare with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and rose from the grave, can better and more fully step into our holy inheritance, our true identity as priests of the kingdom of now and the kingdom to come, advancing our Holy Father's mission for his glory because what is said to one church, one heart, is said to all churches, all hearts. So let's head to Ephesians. Like any good parent or English teacher, Jesus praises first. And he does that with what he knows. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evildoers. This is an incredible encouragement to us. We are seen, we are known. He sees the work the Ephesians are doing to build the church that was founded by the Apostle Paul, and he sees the work you are doing to build and strengthen Village Church. He also sees the works you are doing in the church of your home, the church of your wider family, the church of your workplace, the church and sanctuary you carry in your heart everywhere you go. And he knows your toil, the never-ending physically and spiritually exhausting work that is the life of the Ephesians in early Christendom and the toil that is sometimes your life now. He knows. He knows you are enduring and that evildoers wound you spiritually and that you do not welcome them. But what else does Jesus know? He knows the obstacle, the battle, the mountain in the way, the sea that must be parted. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, I don't mean to imply in any way that you have fallen out of love with Christ, but every believer has a season, a dark night of the soul, where faith can sometimes feel like an obligation can feel joyless, and that spark is gone. And remember, he says, I know. I know you're now, and I know what is to come. So maybe you haven't experienced that yet, and I pray that you never will. But Jesus knows that faithful children will often continue to do their work, toil, and endure, even if they have fallen out of love with him and no longer do works out of love for their brothers and sisters. Faith without works is dead, and works done without love are spiritually dead works. So like a good parent, he seeks to correct the error of our ways, the error of the Ephesians' ways, and some of our ways now and maybe some of our ways to come, because it says in Proverbs 3, 12, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And here's the next part of our rhythm and our pattern. He calls on the Ephesians to listen. Let anyone who has an ear listen. The encompassing, inclusive call to anyone possessing these two appendages on the side of their head, listen to me. Repent. Change your direction. Come back. Fall in love with me again. Fall in love with each other again. Fall in love with how it feels to serve one another as the united family under my reign. 
And our knock pattern will continue in Revelation 2, verse 7, with his call to conquer, overcome a heart that is pumping and working without love. Whoever conquers their deadness of heart that lacks the spark of love, we have a kingdom promise. I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is the paradise of God. The kingdom of now and the kingdom to come is promised. From Ephesus, we then get to move through Asia Minor down to Smyrna, our second door, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. So now that we've established that there is a pattern and learned the rhythm of the divine knock, let's observe this pattern in the next letter. Keeping in mind, these are the words of the resurrected Lord ascended on high, speaking to the church of Smyrna, and his voice is carrying across the ages to be heard in our church, in our hearts tonight. I know. What Jesus Christ knows about the church of Smyrna is what he knows about you. I know about your suffering and your poverty, even though you are rich. How comforting it is to know that while surrounded by the heavenly hosts, he saw the suffering of Smyrna. He saw their poverty. He knows your suffering as he knew theirs. He knows of the wounds and the regrets behind the closed doors of your heart, the suffering inflicted upon you, and perhaps even the suffering you have caused others. The suffering of the loss of a job, a broken marriage, a lost child or spouse, the suffering that comes with financial insecurity to make the next mortgage or rent payment, the shame of telling your child it's a single with cheese and cup of water kind of day, kiddo. This is a praise he gives to Smyrna because he sees that despite the earthly metrics of the world that say they are failing, failing to have an account balance on that ATM screen with all the extra zeros and commas, their spiritual account, rather than being overdrawn, their spiritual account and yours is a Psalm 23 cup that overflows. You are adorned, gold-plated. But I also know, and if you visit Gary Carell's Bible study on Wednesday night, he will let you know, be scared of the Jesus but. But I also know... Despite your spiritual wealth, you are about to suffer. You may be tested. You will have affliction, but you must be faithful. Jesus knows the current state of Smyrna and what is also to come, a testing, affliction that is not sent by God. But we're walking that path of Joseph, for as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And in Christ, this testing to come will bring us closer to the glory of his stripes that heal, for blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen, he's calling to anyone. Let anyone who has an ear listen. Beware because the devil is coming to test. 
And we are called then to conquer. Whoever conquers that fear and conquers the ways of the world which says the lamb that was slain is not worth suffering for, be faithful. Do not be a slave to fear. Be like the Apostle Paul, who in spite of unimaginable afflictions was able to declare, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And here comes our promise. I will. I will give you the crown of life. The king of all kings will usher you into a heavenly coronation. We will receive our own crown in a reign that has no end. He will anoint your head with oil, and you will not be harmed by the second death. So hang in there. It might feel like I'm doing Matthew Henry's version of commentary on the whole Bible, but we're almost there. The letter to Pergamum is our door three. I know. I know you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith. As we stand before a culture that proclaims the power of the truth of the individual, speaking your truth, an act worthy of secular Instagram and TikTok praise, Jesus knows He saw you then and he sees you now holding fast to his name, not the power of your own, nor the power of any other name, his name, the name above all names, his name that is the truth. He sees you then and he sees you now as you do not deny your faith, despite as verse 12 states where you are living which for Pergamum was a city known for its pagan practices, a community that reveled in a hostility towards Christians. Many in the church of Pergamum are like many of us here now, surrounded by spiritual corruption and those that are hostile to our walk. And Jesus knows many in Pergamum did not deny their faith. But I also know You have some there in Pergamum. Let's all say some, because it's a big qualifier. Some, some, some who hold to the teaching of Bilam, a prophet that led the people of Israel astray so they would eat food sacrificed to idols, practice fornication. Jesus knows that there are those who may declare with their mouths a commitment to the Almighty, but some that will then let their ears continue to listen to that voice and a culture that does not point to the Lord. Some that practice idolatry of self and idolatry of what feels good and feeds my truth as I see it right now, a most false and convenient truth. Listen. Let anyone who has an ear listen and repent. Jesus decrees in verse 16, denounce the false truths, the convenient, and come back to me, the one true God. Conquer to everyone who conquers the actions and behaviors that do not align with his name. I promise I will. I will give some of the hidden manna and a new name. Jesus Christ declares in promise form that the manna placed inside the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus, a holy food meant to forever spiritually sustain the Israelites, will be given to you. And in that moment, 
of mana uh, mono, you will be given a new name, a tu nombre verdado, a new identity in Christ. In Thyatira, door four, the I know, he knows their works, your love, your faith, service, and patient endurance. Jesus knows of your good works, how you love, how you cherish your faith, how you serve, how you endure with patience. But, but I also know, says Jesus, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. Jesus sees all that you are doing right for the kingdom of now and the kingdom to come, but he also sees that sometimes we are weak, that we tolerate and permit to enter the sacred chambers of our hearts false teachers, false voices, those that are trying to build their own kingdom, elevate their own name, those who present themselves as prophets that look good and sound good, but only have smoke and mirror, subscribe and like, button trickery to beguile and lure us into actions that do not exalt the king. You can say amen. <laughs> listen. Let anyone who has an ear listen, for I am the one who searches minds and hearts. Repent. We cannot hide behind those interior doors. We can't hide in the shadowy chambers of our minds and hearts. He knows our thoughts, the beat of our hearts. Listen because he is searching. Repent and turn back to him as he wanted Jezebel to come home to her father and cry out as David did. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Conquer. To everyone who conquers the deep things of Satan and continues to do my works to the end, conquer the false prophets, for their things are not harmless diversions, but the deep things of Satan. Conquer the deep things of Satan, and here's our promise, I will give you authority over the nations. This authority will not be given to a Caesar, nor anyone who rules with the earthly power on the right or the left. He is talking about you. His promise is to give you a share of Christ's messianic authority over the nations. We are invited to share in Christ's holy and made right in every way dominion over every tribe and every tongue in the kingdom that is to come. Behind door five in Sardis, we've almost made it, I promise. I know your works. You have a name of being alive. Jesus sees the church of Sardis and their works, works that on the outside look like the work of the Lord, look righteous and as if they are advancing the kingdom, but all that glitters is not gold. We're in Hollywood after all. For Jesus also knows the dark truth behind that closed door, that the people of Sardis are spiritually dead. They're the zombies of faith, the sleepwalkers. 
They do the right things, say the right things, but despite all their good works, Jesus has not found them perfect before God, and his kingdom is not advanced. Because Jesus Christ, the risen son, does not want to return, I feel confident in saying this, to find himself in an episode of The Walking Dead, where everyone might have a Bible in their hand, but is dead behind the eyes. Listen, let anyone who has an ear listen, wake up. Let the scales fall from your eyes, open them. Remember you have learned from his word, obey his command to build your house on the rock and not the sinking sand of sleep and turn back to him. Conquer, for if you conquer this spiritually deadening sleep, I will, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will confess your name before my father and his angels. Jesus Christ, the risen king, will protect your name. In the book of life, you will not be erased. Jesus will speak your name. Can you even imagine that moment? Jesus Christ saying your name, calling it out with joy to the almighty father and all his better angels, the angel that told Mary she would bear the Son of God, the angels that told the shepherds the Messiah had been born, listen and conquer, he wants to say our name. Behind door six in Philadelphia, the rhythm and pattern of the knock is gaining an urgency because Jesus knows the question must be starting to form. The question of, but how? How can it be? Because how can I possibly? He's almost delivered us to 320, and he will reveal that answer to us. But we will take a stop off in Philly. Sorry, no cheesesteaks. Just more knocking. I know your works. You have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Much like the Church of Smyrna, Philadelphia is praised for keeping God's word and the name of Christ sacred. Despite lacking in political and financial power, it's the kind, um, sorry, despite lacking in political and financial power, and isn't that all of us feeling as if we lack power? Knowing we have some power, but ultimately it's inconsequential. It's the kind of power that lets you order off the secret menu at In-N-Out. And we all know there's a secret menu, right? You told our Louisiana pastor there's one? Yes? Okay. All right. But like Smyrna, Jesus knows not just what is now, but what is to come. These letters are preparing our hearts, unclogging the arteries, opening the closed chambers so he can freely flow in and through you because trial is coming and spiritual warriors with weak hearts are gonna faint just trying to put on that armor of God. So listen, let anyone who has an ear listen so you can know that I am coming soon and you must hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer by continuing to keep my word and name sacred, I will, 
I will make your enemies bow down before your feet. I will keep you from the hour of trial. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God. And Pastor Ryan shared with us last week that Revelation is a story, uh, a book filled with imagery, characters, a story we're invited to enter. And in this story, just picture it. Our enemies, your enemies, bowing before us. We will be spared trials. No more health issues, no more financial issues, no more wounding in our families, the generational ch chains of trauma healed, the people of the Church of Philadelphia alongside Village Church, standing tall and strong as pillars in God's temple. And we will never leave. It's our permanent home forever with the name of God written on our hearts by Christ himself. And so now we're here, last letter, number seven, the sacred number of completion and wholeness, the letter to Laodicea, I know your works. Again, Jesus, with his triune power, sees their works, my works, and your works, but he also knows. You are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. You are in the, I take it, I could leave it, spiritually tepid bath water, that's the cup of coffee you left out for too long. Lukewarm faith with no passion, no zeal, no hot Cheeto, Christ fire in your belly, yes, I'm gonna TM that phrase. And Jesus always saves his strongest rebuke for those that think they can serve two masters. The master of the desire for earthly riches will never align with serving the master of all. You think that in your earthly riches, you need nothing and have become spiritually poor, blind and naked. And here it is, the knock we must hear to open that one passageway, the knock that throws open every inner chamber of our heart where everything that we know we must repent for and have tried to hide from ourselves and others, everything that we have lied to ourselves about, it resides there, ready to shrink and cower before the light of the living God, the knock that answers the question, how? How, Jesus, can I possibly conquer all of that? All I've locked away and tried to forget, tried to convince myself that you did not see. Listen and learn once and for all how to conquer for he has the greatest I will of all waiting for you. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me, and I will give a place with me on my throne. 
And there it is, how to conquer. He is not calling the seven churches, nor you nor me, into perfection. He is calling us into our desperate need for him. He is not saying you must conquer this on your own, under your own strength, with gritted teeth, white-knuckling each day, trying to win a battle you simply, spoiler alert, cannot win. How do you conquer the tombs of your heart, the spiritual blockages and afflictions, the mountains and chains and unparted seas that are now and may come tomorrow? You don't. He does. And not for your glory, for his. Let him in. We're talking Apollo space mission to the dark side of your moon. Two times, Pink Floyd. <laughs> Hear that knock. Open that door to the inner chambers to receive a fully freed heart. And you will not be eating cheeseburgers with me and Getty. You will be at a table set by the Lord. He will serve his broken body and shed blood to your greatest regrets, your darkest shame, your convenient truths. A table set for all of your internal enemies. They are going to be fed and redeemed and healed by the one true God. We are being called into the most sacred act ever performed between Jesus and his disciples, called to share that meal before he surrendered to the cross, a meal of now. All the churches of every age and every place, all of the children of God, every heart welcome. And he will give you a place a forever home that can never be repossessed or go into foreclosure, where doors are never locked and nothing can separate you from that home. You and me and every church, every child of God, every heart sitting with him on his throne. Just as we sang in Glorious Day at the beginning of our service, what was my tomb? What kept the chambers of my heart locked tight so the grace and peace that is the living Christ would became utterly unknown for 42 dark years? What had stopped my ears to where I could not hear his knock? My tomb was in these seven letters. I had all of the afflictions and obstacles of the seven churches blocking my heart. I was doing works without love, trying to fight every battle under my own strength, believing my identity was my earthly failures and earthly wounds, that it was okay to do what was convenient and easy as long as it allowed me to avoid more suffering. And it, as long as it felt good too, and let me hold tight to my truth as I saw it. My tomb became a chamber of a heart entombed because I also listened to some Jezebels, some false friends, some false teachers, false loves. I was breathing, but I was not alive. I was sleepwalking through my life. 
purposeless and utterly helpless to do anything about it until the pain of that level of brokenness became too great and that walking with a dead heart became too much. I had a slowly withering soul. And when I finally admitted the depths of my weakness, that apart from him I could do nothing, that the one true vine refuses to grow in a swamp behind closed doors, I heard the knock. And do you hear it? Hear him outside knocking on the chambers of your heart? Are you willing to listen and let him in? For to the weak, he became weak so that he might win them. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.